Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for leaders in education brought to you by Central Michigan University, the Center for Charter Schools, a leader in educational choice and quality. My name is Orlando Castellan, and I'm here with my colleague, Janelle Brzezinski. Welcome, Janelle. Hi, Orlando. Great to be here. Um, excited to, to share our April episode with everyone. Um, for anyone that's a new listener, um, welcome you to find our podcast episodes and subscribe um, so that you get all of our future episodes um, available on our website, which is the center for charters.org. Um, we're also available on all um, traditional podcast platforms. So whether that be Apple or Stitcher or Spotify, you can find us everywhere. Um, like I said, encourage you to subscribe so that um, you get all future episodes as well. We're glad, glad to have you with us today. And we're super excited for our two guests today. Um, and I think we would call them friends and colleagues. Uh, we have Joe Marr, who is the Director of Research and Data Analytics uh, at the Center for Charter Schools. And then we have Jason Sarsfield, the Deputy Director, uh, who oversees many units, including our data and academic teams. And one of the things they're going to come and talk to us about is the research that they've been performing, the research and analytics on the impact of the pandemic on student performance uh, here in the past year and a half. So that's super exciting to me. Yeah, very interesting conversation, very timely as we're uh, moving into the spring assessment season, but certainly as we reflect on the pandemic, um, the research that um, Jason and Joe have been leading with our data team, um, just very unique um, and very insightful and eye-opening. So they have um, presented on this topic in a number of different areas. They'll share that with us, um, done a lot of work with our partner schools to make sure they're understanding um, the findings that they have, but just really interesting to hear their insights as they move through this important research. We were very excited to have them and look forward to chatting with them. They are our first ever guests from our own team to join the podcast. And so stick around and, and hopefully uh, you'll enjoy this discussion as much as we do. Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders. So we're here with our two guests, Joe Marr and Jason Sarsfield, and excited to have uh, two colleagues of ours from our office chatting with us today as part of our podcast. And, you know, I guess I'll just jump right into the questions, guys. How did the discussions begin uh, to embark on researching the impact of the pandemic and student performance? Thanks, Orlando. Uh, thanks for having us. It's great to have Joe Marr with us here today. Uh, this is Jason Sarsfield. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, one of the ways I'd answer that is going down uh, history lane just a little bit. And as many folks know, uh, CMU pioneered the use of computer adaptive benchmark assessments for going on 15 years now. Uh, the NWEA map being the primary one. Um, we found great value over the years in, in um, the, the data that results in those assessments to meet student needs, to assess school performance. And so we were uniquely positioned because of the amount of historical data that we have following the return to learn legislation's requirement that all students are um, administered a benchmark assessment within the first nine weeks of schools. It was a natural outgrowth of our natural practices, but also we got a lot of feedback from uh, folks at the in, in schools and in the field that it'd be valuable to take a look not only at 
uh, how each school's doing, where their opportunities are to serve kids and what happened to kids during the shutdown, but also what trends we see across the portfolio as it uh, then has an opportunity to influence policy and practice. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, but um, it was a natural outgrowth of our historical processes with a little feedback from uh, of stakeholders and partners that thought that our capabilities uh, would lend itself to uh, some valuable products in that regard. So you said that, that the university has been administering this test since uh, 2003, and so uh, pretty rich then data set that the university has in that space. Yeah, that, that's correct. And um, importantly, to the student level, so we can really t- start thinking about uh, which students may or may not have been more impacted by COVID or other factors, uh, you know, in time. And we've been able to uh, do a lot of analysis on that. I'd, I'd say to give... Uh, my teammate Joe Marr credit and uh, his his leadership has really transformed our data management and analytics uh, within our office over the last year and a half. And so that also aided itself to being able to produce these reports for each school as well as across our portfolio as an aggregate. Um, so all that foundation really, um, really uh, positioned us well uh, to be able to add value to the field with this topic. And Jason, you mentioned that we were uniquely positioned and that's some of what you were speaking to there. Um, Joe, can you share a little bit more as far as the environment goes? Um, and we're gonna get into to some more details of what this research was, but are we unique in the research we are doing there and kind of what are you seeing both at the state level and national level of others um, who are doing similar types of research? Yeah, thanks Janelle uh, and Jason. So. I do think we are unique in a way that we have such a, a long-standing history in administering these assessments. We administer them twice a year, fall and spring. We have some schools that use it a third time in the year. So it's really just a big part of our standard operating procedure for schools to take these assessments. And that's really um, kind of given us an advantage over a lot of other uh, outfits, uh, whether it's peers or departments of ed or whoever it might be. Um, in that our schools were kind of in a rhythm already on taking these assessments. They had already taken it in the fall before the pandemic kind of kicked off. And we decided really early that when this happened, when the when the pandemic was upon us, that we were gonna drop our evaluation and accountability standards uh, with standardized assessment because of the nature of things. And so it was pretty quickly after that point we came together um, as a team and talked about how we could make it valuable um, for schools in this time, especially after the state then required that students be assessed. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was really a process for our office. I'd add that uh, for any data to be valuable, it needs to be taken within context. And so we've been able to make comparisons to previous years, again, at the student level and disaggregating at at even demographic characteristics. Um, And that actually has positioned us to be quite unique. So NWEA, the the, the vendor of the test itself, um, has done some significant research on their own. Their findings are similar. Some other groups are doing some more macro aggregate um, research. And again, we've uh, collaborated with them and compared our findings. But um, that historical student level precision has put us in a pretty unique position. And in fact, uh, NWEA has asked us for our findings and some of our uh, you know, um, underlying assumptions and, and uh, we've been able to add value nationally as well. 
So we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, how we got to this point, what, what has led us to want to do some research on student performance and student assessments in the pandemic. Um, can you both speak a little bit more in detail about what is the, re what were you looking at um, up until this point? And then certainly in a little bit, we'll get to what the future looks like for this research, but um, both what, what did the research entail? What things were you looking at? And then what, what overall, what has your research shown you as far as student performance? performance and what you're seeing across the portfolio of schools that we partner with? So what we looked at, we kind of took an approach of we wanted to start pretty broad and then get more specific uh, as time went on. We wanted to answer some broad questions first. That was kind of what was on people's mind, um, especially towards the end of last year. Uh, and so we really started through the lens that we kind of typically look at schools through uh, in our portfolio through uh, at the at the national normed level, what was the performance like in math and reading? How did that change from before the pandemic to through the pandemic? And um, the findings that we saw through through that analysis at a, a real high aggregate level was that we saw declines in math performance, specifically in lower grades, and it definitely uh, a definite slowing down of student growth, uh, specifically in math. Um, surprisingly, we didn't see a whole lot of change in reading, or not as much as we thought we were gonna see. And that was something that was pretty consistent across the other research that's been done across the country. Uh, that was consistent with what NWEA found was that um, the, the largest declines were in math in lower grades. And so after we answered those kind of higher level questions and we even distributed reports to our schools just strictly for informational purposes uh, for them to take within their own context knowing that assessing students virtually has its challenges and all of that stuff um, once we were able to produce those reports and have conversations we were able to dig a little bit deeper and look at um, student performance by subgroup uh, by different demographics and answer some questions around grade level and demographic uh, changes in performance. And what we found was really interesting. Um, we saw that there was a decline in performance across all groups of students, um, whether that's students who are eligible for free and reduced lunch or not eligible for free and reduced lunch, or students uh, who were uh, groups of African-American students or, or Asian-American students, um, we saw that the, the declines in growth and achievement were universal across groups. Um, we did also note that, you know, it seems like the, the achievement gap between, um, between students who are eligible for free and reduced lunch and not eligible for free and reduced lunch is growing to some degree. Both groups saw some decline, but um, but that gap seems to be growing. And then there's also a growing gap between um, between uh, higher free and redu reduced lunch white students and uh, more disadvantaged students, specifically students who are eligible for free and reduced lunch. So those findings weren't. Um, I wouldn't call them surprising. I think we all kind of uh, expected that there would be some growing of the achievement gap through this time. What was surprising is that across the board, we saw that that uh, across groups, students tended to perform worse through the pandemic. And that was uh, a big deal. There wasn't one group of students specifically that really uh, didn't see any any decline. 
And when we say that, Janelle, it's great and loaded question. That's not to say that there aren't individual students within those groups that, you know, succeeded or, or, or you know, were exceptions to that rule. But um, I think what Joe is saying certainly is, is true around all groups of students as a whole, you know, were negatively impacted, uh, you know, by the pandemic. Again, big difference in, in math and there seems to be a real issue with math. Um, and, and I think practitioners would be able to really shed some light on that. The other important piece to note is that this, this analysis and research was based on this fall's results. And so we did fall to fall comparisons where we would normally do fall to spring. And so when you think about it retrospectively, it captures kind of what happened at the tail end of last year, uh, the impact per se of COVID when through the shutdown and the remainder of last school year, as well as the summer. And we typically see some, some summer slide with most students. Um, and then that leads into where right, your, your question that you'll I'm sure get to with lots more to come. I won't answer that question right now, but the, with lots more to come as more data becomes available and we're able to tease some of that out. So Jason, um, for those that are uninitiated as it relates to the NWEA, can you give a 50,000 foot um, analysis or assessment on how, yeah. you know, how does that work um, and, 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 and what is the value of that? Yeah, so first of all, NWEA is probably the most used benchmark assessment in the country. Many millions of students in all states and in fact, probably dozens of other countries. So that provides this rich data sample um, for norming purposes and others. Very well respected. Importantly, it's computer adaptive. So what that means is that as a student answers questions correctly or incorrectly, it gives them different uh, items that then levels where they're at. And so that happens very automatically. The results are available immediately and most importantly for teachers to use and looking at where the gaps are with individual students so they can target instruction. That data is then available to us fairly immediately um, as we look at school level and across our portfolio. Uh, but that's why they call it computer adaptive, um, because it does give that um, that real sense of where where a student is on, on uh, you know important skills and knowledge. All of this are you know aligned to you know the Michigan and national uh, learning standards as well. So that's you know, obviously important uh, piece. So that beginning of the year, the end of the year testing then gives you an opportunity to measure the growth. Yeah. Actually, really important follow-up there, Orlando. Thank you for that. Um, and not only, and this is real advantage of these benchmark assessments, which is not only does it show where a student is at any one point in time, but it, it shows how well that they've grown in comparison to what we'd call their like peers. So it really places all students that started at a particular point in time in the year, whether that's low, middle, or high, uh, for lack of a better characterization. And it compares those to the same students. So we, we call that the technical term is normative growth but it really does give multiple measures of student learning at any one point in time, but also within an interval. And one of the things we like to say around this distinction of achievement and growth is that achievement measures what students know or can do and growth measures what they've learned over a particular time, fall to spring, fall to fall, and there's other intervals. Thank you. That, that's very helpful because now that sets up my next question, Jason, of Really, um, you know, it sounds like we've done the research. We know that there's some student loss going on uh, based on based on the testing and the, and the multiple tests that were taken with, uh, for students. So then what are you hearing from the people in the field regarding how are they going to bridge the gap of recovery um, and how are they going to help students with their performance? Yeah, so, you know, 
I believe and I've heard there's not a one size fits all to this challenge. And I think uh, each school leader leadership team uh, needs to understand their constituents deeply, what their needs and desires are, and as well as obviously where their kids are. Um, so that said, I think there's a number of different um, uh, strategies schools are employing with the infusion of significant resources. A, a number of schools are employing creative and robust summer programming. Um, lots of them are saying, you know, uh, not the old summer school drill and kill model because uh, they want kids and students to be excited to come back and learn. So they're finding creative ways to blend not just core um, uh, remedial and, and, and instruction, but also enrichment activities to give students and, and also consider their, their social and emotional health needs. Uh, so well-rounded kind of summer programming. Some schools are doubling down with uh, instructional time uh, in certain key areas, such as math, that's a more a, a larger deficiency. So they've got to make some trade-offs sometimes around how they use their instructional time. And thirdly, I would say, and something that uh, I think is critically important and needs to be addressed, which is helping parents help their students or their children learn at higher rates. And again, especially in math, uh, and that gets to structured opportunities for parents to learn the curriculum in a parent-friendly way, to have tangible tools and thereby essentially extending the school day for those students. It's a critically important piece and it's not just something that's done haphazardly. It takes time and resources to bring parents in, curriculum nights and other types of things uh, to make them true partners. And that's a best practice for schools um, anyway, uh, but it becomes even more important now. So I think you'll see schools investing money and resources and, and thought and strategy into any one of those. And then uh, likely I'm missing some things. So there's also additional strategies I'm sure they're employing as well. Um, and you, so we've talked a little about the research that you did, as you mentioned, from fall to fall of really looking at that learning loss through that time frame. Um, can you speak to the parts of the research that really looked at projecting of, you know, what might happen in the future, um, including what might have happened last spring had things, you know, been assessed as we typically would. Um, Joe, can you speak a little bit to some of kind of that research that you did around projections as well? Yeah, so I think um, one of the biggest things that, that we see unfolding is that the, the question is going to become like, how much did students recover this year? And when I've been out and about talking to uh, board members and school leaders, it, it's been really important to remind them that while it feels like in some ways we want the pandemic to be over and in some ways it is, it's still very much happening in the schools. And even if that's not necessarily the spread of the disease in schools, it's still, it's the response. Um, we had a lot of schools that, that came back in person and then went back remote. And then maybe they came back in person and then they stayed remote. And so that bouncing around more than anything has, has been um, one of the driving causes of some of the difficulty. So as we think about what's to come, I think it's going to be really important that we start to, to talk about when recovery starts and what recovery looks like um, for, these, uh, for these students and then how that manifests on a standardized assessment, because we're not going to be able to capture all of that. But the idea is, is that we're seeing these these achievement gaps grow over the course of this pandemic. Um, there is evidence of that even in our even in our fall data uh, from before um, the new year. And as a as a sector, as an uh, you know 
education more broadly, the idea is, is that we come out of this pandemic and we get back to a point where we are shrinking those gaps again instead of watching them grow because they have grown through this pandemic. And so a lot of our research and focus and, uh, you know, analytical power will be focused on how do we, how do we uh, examine and show or, um, or assist our stakeholders in understanding what recovery looks like and where they're at in that recovery process. And that's not a real specific answer because uh, we're not quite sure what we're going to see yet. Well, and I think uh, to that point, one of the things that you guys were able to do was to have a conversation with lawmakers um, about some of the research that you guys did. Jason, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that experience? And I know many, many out there are like, wow, you had a, you got a, you got to testify before uh, the state legislature, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what that discussion looked like, but also give us some behind the scenes on what that was like preparing for that and making sure that you thought, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go and, and, and put our best foot forward. Uh, yeah, thanks, Orlando. So it actually gets back to my response to the first question um, and, and Janelle's follow-up around us being uniquely situated. And, and, and that was actually the reason why we were able to take advantage of the opportunity um, because we had the data at the student level over time and could make those comparisons. And so, for example, uh, the Michigan Department of Education schools are required to submit all their benchmark data this year pursuant to the return to learn legislation or law at the end of the year, but they weren't in a position to do it because they didn't have the data um, historically and even currently from the fall. So we were uniquely positioned. Um, and so that in large part gave us the opportunity um, as well as our, our longstanding leadership in this space. Uh, so to get back to your question, um, the virtual environment didn't help uh, and it never does, right? We've all persevered and learned how to move through it. But, uh, you know, candidly and humbly, I'd say I had technical problems, which I usually don't have, but of course uh, I was testifying virtually. And so um, uh, that was the first time I had technical problems in a long time, was not able to share my screen and my slide deck. Um, luckily we provided that to them a few days in advance and they had a copy of that. Uh, they were engaged, it was the, um, House Appropriations Subcommittee on K-12 School Aid. Uh, they were very engaged, had uh, lots of concerns, uh, lots of questions that were predictable and some that weren't as predictable um, and just genuine, genuinely concerned, I think, Orlando is how I'd characterize their response. Um, and uh, Don Cooper, Assistant Vice President of Charter Schools in Grand Valley State University joined me, um, added some pieces of similar information that they found in their portfolio um, and also making some policy recommendations. Uh, of course, you, you can never prepare too much for these types of uh, opportunities. Um, and I'm just grateful that we've got the, the team that we have behind us. And so I joke around and say, Joe and the team did all the work. I, I just had the opportunity to represent it and, and talk about it. And so they did the heavy lifting. Uh, but it really uh, forces you to uh, get your messaging down, your key points, try to predict as many questions as you possibly can, uh, prepare to the extent you can. But most importantly, uh, be thankful for the opportunity and the trust that the legislature, the governor has placed in us in terms of reviewing, you know, these COVID plans and things of that nature. So we don't take that responsibility lightly. We're, we're proud to, to exercise that and add value in doing so. Well, and you guys did a great job and, and we appreciate uh, your hard work in that space. 
All right. And we know certainly that um, schools are, are just jumping back into assessments. It's timely that we're talking about this right now. Um, you know, as you mentioned, and we've said that the research initially was that fall to fall time frame, but it's going to continue to evolve as students are continuing to be assessed uh, moving forward. So as students are taking those spring assessments, really where, where, you know, is your team going to be taking this research moving forward and kind of what's on the horizon for exploring, you know, as, as you've said, this pandemic continues, um, you know, we're going to continue to learn through it. Um, but, you know, at what point does the recovery start? But in the meantime, um, you know, what, what's that research and outlook going to look like um, as far as the research specifically goes as we get spring results? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, as we think about what what research and what questions we're going to be able to, we're going to be in a position to answer uh, in the spring. It, um, it's going to be fun in a way to be able to see this information come in and start to look at what kind of recovery has taken place. Um, I know as we talk internally, we're hopeful that, um, you know, we're talking to board members, we're talking to school leaders who have all made such an incredible effort to adapt their programs into this new environment and adapt, you know, through this pandemic. And, you know, even in the fall, we saw some of that, uh, some of that payoff and some, some good results in some areas. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing that in the spring, specifically what we're going to be looking at uh, along the along the analytics side is tracking some cohorts of students that we had data on from before the pandemic all the way through uh, now through this year. So we'll be restricting um, who we're looking at to students that we have data through this whole process, through this whole kind of time to see what that recovery is going to look like. And we're hopeful that we're going to see some, some promising signs there. Um, on the more operations oriented side, um, we're continuing to help support um, our partners in the field doing the work by answering questions uh, that they might have about assessment, uh, about about the data. And we're also going to help them meet their uh, legislative requirement to report on their progress at the end of the year, like we did uh, over the winter testing cycle. Um, so we're just really uh, excited to be able to continue to engage with uh, a lot of folks in the field that we typically wouldn't uh, have engaged with. Anytime they let us data folks out of the basement, uh, out from behind our spreadsheets, we're excited. So, Yeah, and I would add that, you know, first and foremost, it's, you know, trying to arm our partners in, 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 in the schools we work with, with valuable information. So to Joe's point, helping them comply with the legislative requirements to report out also produce a, a report that provides some deeper analysis, much like we did in the fall for each school, uh, so that they can examine it and always providing support and follow up to that. So, so those are um, really important pieces. And then uh, notwithstanding a ton of operational challenges, we'd like uh, to try, we'd like to attempt to, to answer the question around which students didn't suffer as much and under what circumstances. Um, and, and also, the students that did suffer, and we, we may call them sliders, that went a little bit, uh, that didn't grow as much as they normally would, under what circumstances do they recover even faster? Um, there's a, a lot of nuance in trying to tease that out, and we're hopeful, uh, without making broken promises, that we may be able to shed some light on um, 
uh, on the impact uh, that some of our schools have had and, and the portfolio as a whole in addressing learning loss. Well, I think that's all very fascinating discussion. And as many folks are looking uh, forward towards the end of the pandemic so that they can make a trip or they can spend time with family, it's um, you know uh, exciting, rewarding to hear that our um, data research and analytics team is, is looking forward to crunching data. Uh, that's your end of the pandemic uh, excitement that's coming. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why we're excited to have you guys on our team uh, because uh, we know that you guys do a great job and 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 take deep care in, in the work that you do. Um, and we we appreciate you being here with us today. we We hope to have a continued dialogue as as you know, Orlando said, you're excited to crunch some of these numbers and see what see what findings you have. Um, we'd love to have you back to to hear more about that as this progresses. Um, and as Orlando mentioned, you know, just grateful to have you a part of the CMU team, um, your expertise, um, not just at the charter school and education level, but in the the data and research that you're doing in the entire environment. Um, your leadership's appreciated. It's definitely a value add to our schools, but it's making a real difference in education and in greater terms. So we're grateful for you. Grateful that you shared a few minutes of your day to, to let our listeners hear about the great work that you've been doing. And we're excited to continue to hear about it as this progresses throughout the pandemic. Yeah, thanks, Janelle and Orlando, for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd also be remiss if I didn't say for anyone listening, um, if you have questions, if you want to have dialogue, uh, we are uh, always ready and stand by to support your work. Uh, you know, that is Sherry Betcher on the assessment team, Joe Marr, Davey Storr, uh, Eric Kronstrom on the uh, on the team, Laura Stabler, her team on, on the academic performance and accountability uh, are, are also involved in this work. I am also more than happy uh, uh, to spend time with anybody that may find it valuable in terms of having further discussions about their schools or just in general. Well, thank you guys. We appreciate your time today. And as I said, we're open invitation to, to have you back when, when you have even more to share. So looking forward to that conversation. Thanks for having us.